My name is Mike Rulledge. I'm the Director of Arts, and I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing with you this morning. We're in the uh, second week of a series that we're, uh, we're calling The Me I Want to Be. And if you were here last week, uh, you heard, you know, I actually, we all, when you think about it, we all have uh, desires to be all that we can be, right? It's sort of a wrestle of humanity that we, we uh, want to figure out who we are and uh, find fulfillment in life, and just have this desire to be completely me. And last week, Dave talked about being complete in Christ or in creation and understanding that the very essence of who we are is given to us through our Creator God. And the way to uh, be complete is first to uh, know the God who created us. This week, uh, the message is called uh, Complete by another. And before you jump to conclusions, the first thing you'd think is always about how we complete each other. And that's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about being made complete by uh, God and his work of redemption through grace in us. That's what we're going to be talking about. And I love that. So I don't know if you guys, anyone know Dustin Kensrue? Anyone heard of Dustin Kensrue? That's who that was that did that. Uh, he wrote that initial song. I, I love the lyric there. And I'm not sure how much of it you caught, but I just think it's, it's an amazing uh, lyric. He said, you left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost, but Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone, but Jesus, you paid my debt. And we're talking about grace. That it's really interesting. This week in, um, in our staff meeting, Rebecca Bosshart, sent, she said this quote. It's just an amazing quote. Uh, she quoted Michelangelo who said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved it until I set it free. Isn't that beautiful? 
saw the angel and the marble, and I carved until I set it free. And I think that the process of grace in the Christian faith is how we can set the angel in the marble free for each of us. I can't think of a truth, to, a more crucial truth for us to fully grasp than that of grace as followers of Jesus. And for those of you who are not following Jesus, even for you to understand fully what grace is, is just an, a, a crucial truth. It affects every relationship you have. It affects your relationship with yourself. It affects your relationship with others. And it affects your relationship, obviously, with God. Paul Turnier, who is a Swiss doctor, he wrote a book called Guilt and Grace, and he says this, I cannot study the very serious problem of guilt with you without raising the very obvious and tragic fact that religion, my own as well as that of all believers, can crush instead of liberate. He tells of patients who he sees, a man who uh, has guilt over uh, a sin many years before, and a woman who uh, can't let go of, uh, can't put out of her mind an abortion that took place 10 years early. And he says this, what the patients truly seek is grace. You see, because people long to know that their life is still redeemable, still valuable, despite the mistakes and bad choices and bad decisions, that there is still an angel in the marble. That's what we all want to know. Uh, there was a, this a comparative religions conference happened way, way long time ago, many years ago. Um, and they had a, a bunch of uh, experts from around the world of different, different faiths were debating what, if any, uh, significant or unique belief the Christian faith brought to the table. And so they started kind of going through the different beliefs and, and uh, trying to eliminate them one at a time. And they, you know, first they said incarnations. Well, you know, there are actually versions of God's appearing in human flesh in other religions and you know, then they thought resurrection. They said, well, there are accounts of return from death in other religions. So they, they're, they're, they're debating all this stuff and kind of eliminating the differences. And as they're having this debate, C.S. Lewis walks, wanders into the room. And he's, you know, what's all the rumpus going on? What's going on here? And so they tell him what they're debating. And his response is, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And so they had some more discussion on it. And they realized after a little bit of time, yeah, you're, he's, he's actually right. The notion of love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. And, you know, there's the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law. All of these provide ways to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. I want to ask you something. A lot of times we'll ask questions. We want you to kind of holler out your answers, and I actually don't want you to do that right now. I just want you to think about this because I, want, I don't want anyone to inform your answer, but I just want to ask you this. If you were to define grace for yourself, I want to just give you like 15 seconds here. What would, you, what would your definition of grace be? Then the next follow-up question would be this. Have you allowed grace or have you accepted grace in your life? And typically when you talk about grace, there's an immediate jump to the idea that we're talking about receiving Christ, which we are, receiving the gospel of grace in your life, but there's more to it than that. Every single day we need grace in our life. 
every single day, often many times during the day, we need to receive grace. And the question is, do, have you received grace in those areas? Do you have anger in your life? Or, or, or maybe you're judgmental or critical, or maybe you're you know, self-effacing, or, or uh, you have a relationship that needs God, God's grace. And my question for you is, have you allowed grace to touch all of those areas in your life? What I want to do this morning is I want to look at God's word and understand what he says about grace, and then we'll kind of talk more about what, how we can define that and apply it. And I want to start with a passage that we find in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit, is the spirit. With unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Basically, what he's saying is we're carving until the marble comes out. God is at work to carve, until the, uh, carve the marble until the angel comes out. And it's interesting when you read this, there's some, some really cool stuff in here. And I, I just, just so that we understand, the first thing he says, with unveiled faces. What, what is he saying there? Well, actually what he's saying is we're removing the veil that guards us from others seeing us. We're being open and honest. You're, you're exposing yourself, the true you and who you are to others. And then what happens, he says, he says, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And the Greek word there, actually what that means is, is not contemplate like we think about. It, it actually means to reflect as a mirror. So we expose ourselves openly and we're actually reflecting God's glory, all right? And as we do that, we are transformed into his image more and more and more. And why he says this is really interesting. If you think he's writing to the Corinthians, what do we know about the Corinthian church? Anyone? They're pretty jacked up, right? They have all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And he's telling them that they are called to an increasing transformation for them to be the image bearers of Christ. And that by exposing themselves honestly, people will see the work of God in them, and they will see that God can work wonderful things in the life of sinners. And Paul, you think about Paul himself, if you know anything about Paul, he was the lead persecutor of the Christians. He was killing Christians and trying to stop the spread of the gospel. If you remember in Acts chapter 6, uh, at the stoning of Stephen, one of the apostles, uh, Paul was, was present, if not presiding. They, they threw their coats at his feet while they stoned Stephen. So this is a guy who saw some very significant transformation when, he, when God's grace touched his life for real, and he was a different person, never to go back. And what was interesting to me when I was reading this about all the transformation, I just found it super fascinating. And then, I, then I, immediately following that, I had a really significant problem with this verse. In order, I think it's important we talk about this because in order to understand this verse, I need to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And I'm going to read this to you. It says this, real simple. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then you see in, it repeats in Genesis chapter 9. It says, for in the image of God, God has made mankind. But then when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says What? that we are being transformed into God's image. And the question is, if we were already created in God's image, why are we being transformed into his image? What happened? 
Well, I think the answer is not only significant, but it's pretty obvious. See, sin entered the world. See, in Genesis chapter 1, it says uh, that he created them in his image. In Genesis chapter 2, it says they were naked and unashamed. Why were they naked and unashamed? Because their image was perfection. They, you know, I, I joke about this. Like my kids, my two youngest kids, they run around all summer long with just shorts, like no shirt, no nothing. You know, they just, that's just how they live. And I have to tell you what, if I looked like them, I would be up here teaching like that. Like I would lead worship like that because they just, they look awesome. They just, they have no shame about it. And the same in a, in a greater sense was true of, of Adam and Eve. They actually were sinless and perfect and unaware of their nakedness. And then in chapter three of Genesis, what happens? They eat the apple or whatever fruit it was. And what ha- it says immediately following that, it says, They eat it, and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Chapter 3, verse 7, and chapter 3, verse 8. What did they do? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then they hid from God. Created in his image, traded truth for a sin or a false promise from Satan, and now they no longer were unashamed because they bore their own image, not God's. See, God is holy and perfect, and we are not, and sin separates us from him. Until we're touched by the grace of God, we're not ever going to be fully who we are to be. In the same way that we need to know who created us, we need to be back bearing his image as we're called to. Pretty, I don't know if you heard this this week. Uh, I was listening to, must have been NPR, some, some news station uh, in Japan. For four years, they've been trying to breed these two hyenas. Have you heard about this? They're trying to breed these two, two hyenas, and four years later, they finally figured out why they couldn't. And it, it's because they were both male. <laughs> and I'm not really, I, I, maybe they should like make a test for that or some way to figure out what gender an animal is. I don't know. That seems like it'd be a pretty helpful thing. But for some reason, they couldn't figure it out. Uh, I just think that's kind of funny, but, um, you know, but studying uh, animals in captivity in, zoo, you know, in zoos is very, very interesting. Um, and, and one of the things that happens that, that we've, we've found out is that animals in captivity uh, oftentimes develop what are called stereotypical behaviors. And stereotypical behaviors are behaviors that animals uh, develop that don't really exist when they're in their natural habitat. Um, we know like pandas and cheetahs don't really uh, breed well uh, in captivity. And uh, we, as a matter of fact, um, our family went to the Hogel Zoo, I think it was this summer, and we, we were watching the polar bear. They have that cool exhibit, and we're watching the polar bear. It was just before feeding time, and we could see the polar bear was just kind of like circling, and then he'd stop at this door where the food was gonna come from, kind of go back and forth, and then continue his loop. He, I don't know how many times he did it, multiple times. And I look and I see there's a pathway. He had worn a pathway of his loop. See, this is something that in, in nature that doesn't happen because no one's coming to feed them. And what happens is when they're in captivity, the stereotypical behavior almost becomes like a limp. It replaces a natural behavior and it, it sort of is like, you know, like Adam and Eve's fig leaf. It's something that they didn't have until they stepped away from the way they were meant to be. Now, I'm not trying to condemn zoos or anything like that. I think zoos are great. But I think it's a very interesting thing. And I think that what we need to understand is that so often in our own lives, 
we become our own captors, like Adam and Eve, because we buy a lie and we sell God's image for something that's not true. And then we spend time limping and we think we're never going to release the angel that's in the marble. And we put on fig leaves to cover ourselves from each other. And this is where grace comes in, where it says we can be transformed back into his image with ever-increasing glory. And what I want to do, and I'll just tell you this, if you really want to understand grace, I would just recommend, read the first, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today comes from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, where there's so much information on grace and understanding God's concept of grace. And so I just highly recommend that. But what I want to do, and if, you're, if you write, take notes, I would encourage you, I want to tell you four things that grace is not, and I would encourage you to write these down. And then I want to tell you three things that grace is, okay? The first thing that grace is not is this. Grace is not divine enablement. It is not divine enablement. So often, if you ask people what grace is, one of the responses you'll get, maybe you thought this even, that, that, that grace is like a boat in the ocean, and, and the oars are the grace. And there's this current that's pulling the boat towards hell, and if we just keep rowing, God's provided the oars for us. If we just keep rowing, we, we can row our way into heaven. That is not what grace is at all. Not for one second. That is the gospel of works. Grace isn't something that makes up for what we can't do on our own. It doesn't enable us to do anything that's not grace. So if that's what you believe grace is, you're believing something that's false. It says, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Our best righteousness in God's eyes is filthy rags. So if, you are in the, if you're thinking, if I just keep rowing, that God's enabling me to move forward, you, you're not believing you don't have a good understanding of what truth is. And you, as a matter of fact, when you look at Jesus' conflict, who did Jesus have the most conflict with? The Pharisee, the religious leaders of his time who had it all figured out and they had, they'd written all the laws and they knew everything there was. And if they just acted this way, they were fine. They're on the way to heaven. And Jesus said, no, you guys, you don't have it because they believed grace was divine enablement. The second thing that grace is not is grace is not earned. Romans 11.6 tells us, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. See, as soon as we do something to achieve it, it's not grace, it's a work. And it's not something we can earn. I love Romans 5.6 tells us this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And the message version, I, love, I, lo I like this even better. It says this, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. See, outside of anything we can do, his grace is available to us. Before we were even considering God, he offered grace to us. So don't think it's something we have to do or something we earn. It's not earned. The third thing is this. In Romans 5, 21 and 22, we find this. Grace is not finite. Now, I will say this. My grace is finite. Your grace is finite. 
human grace in general is finite. And that's oftentimes why we think that we can't get enough grace because our experience in the human flesh is that we run out of grace. I mean, you've all been there. Maybe you have a difficult person in your life where you're just kind of done with it, right? Difficult situation in your life, a difficult person, whatever it is. See, but as humans, we run out of grace. That's it. That's it. They don't deserve any Well, right there, I just said it, didn't I? They don't deserve it, and I'm not giving them any more. But God's grace is not like that. Look at this. Romans chapter 5. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Now, let me just explain that really quickly. What they're not saying is that the law was brought in so that more sin would happen. What they're saying is, understand that the law does what? It demonstrates when we don't achieve it. And so when the law was brought in, we started to see all the more how we failed. And it goes on to say this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jerry Bridges, he's the author of the book Discipline of Grace and Pursuit of Holiness, he says, our worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach, beyond God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That's very comforting. The fourth thing I want to tell you is this, that grace is not license to sin. Now, God's grace covers every sin. He says that in Romans 5, 21, and 21. And then the very next verse, Romans 6, 1, says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer? in it. Grace is not licensed to sin, and what he's saying is if you, grace will cover your sin, but you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and continue to willfully live in sin and expect God to cover that. Will it cover it? Of course it will cover it, but that's not why he offers grace. So I want to, so those four things, grace is not, it's not uh, divine enablement, it's not something that's earned, it's not finite, and it's not licensed to sin. Now, let's talk about what grace is really quickly. And uh, uh, Philip Yancey is a great author. He, he uses this example. He's telling of a time he was uh, stuck in Los Angeles traffic, and he uh, arrived 58 minutes late to the Hertz counter to return his car. And he kind of was in a foul mood because, you know, he's late in the traffic and all that stuff. He kind of drops the keys on the counter. He goes, okay, how much do I owe? And uh, the lady looks at him, she says, you you don't want anything, you're fine. He goes, well, you know, I'm late, and so, you know. And she says, that's okay, you're in the grace period. He goes, oh, (laughs) that's interesting. He says, well, what is grace? And her response is awesome. She says, well, I don't know. I guess it means, I guess what it means is that even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. And I cannot think of a more practical definition of grace in our life. I think of uh, my sons, my youngest sons, we, Susie and I were, uh, since, since 
we met, we, we just always knew we were supposed to adopt. We just felt that calling. And so we, <laughs> we went many times to these uh, adoption agencies, and we'd sit through these meetings, and then we'd get to this point where they say, okay, if you're in, you got to cough up like ten or 15000 as your you know, down payment, because <laughs> adoption's very expensive. And we're like, okay, thanks. This has been great. We're out. And we did that multiple times, and we moved out here, and we, like, we did it one more time. And so we said, instead of going through this whole process, let's just tell them up front, okay? <laughs> Maybe we could save ourselves a few, few meetings. And so we said, hey, we can't. We don't have the money. So, well, why don't we just do your paperwork and just, we'll just, just do this stuff anyway. So we did. And uh, then they meet with us and they said, okay, this is good stuff. We have some more stuff for you to do. We kept going down the process and every time, like, hey, just a reminder, we don't have, like, we don't have the money to this. Like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll figure that out when we get there. Finally, they say, we think we have a placement for you. And we're like, okay, this is fantastic. We, don't, we still are in the same, we don't have the money. And they said, you know what? You're good. Now that, <laughs> that is grace. Because we had no ability to pay that. But it was covered. Grace, if you were to define it, would be this. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God. The un. Merited, unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God. So I just want to talk about the three things that grace is. First of all, it's unmerited. And, and you know, merit just means that, that it's, it's, we deserve, it's a reward we deserve for something we've done, we've done. And grace is unmerited. And you look at Romans chapter 5, 8, it says this. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, before we had done anything, before we were even aware of him, he offered us grace. Second thing, grace is unearned. Just look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith, and that faith not of ourselves, God offers us the grace. It's not by works. And notice how it says at the end, so that no man can boast. Why does he say that? Because if we had anything to do with it, we could boast about it. But since we have nothing to do with it, we didn't earn it. It just came to us by God's gracious gift. The third one is this, that grace is undeserved. And for this, I just want to show you, how, how many of you have seen the musical or the movie of the musical Les Mis? It's a great story of redemption, but I, as I was thinking through this third part, this third point that grace is undeserved, I think that this movie clip can explain it even better than I can say. So take a look at this for a second, if you would. For you are weary And the night is cold out here Though our lives are very humble What we have, we have to share There is wine here to revive you There is bread to make you strong a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest 
from Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. He had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for beautiful clip demonstrating God's redemptive love and grace in an undeserved time. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines grace as this. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. God is gracious in action. That opening song again, you left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost, but Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. Let me ask you again, what is grace and have you accepted grace into your life? And I would just ask two things. I'm going to invite the band up as we close here this morning and the first is, for those of you, if you've never taken that first step in accepting Christ into your life, step one is to receive his grace, which is offered through his death on the cross. Because you will never be who you fully are intended to be until you have accepted the grace of the creator. 
And the second, for those of you who are followers of Christ, as I said in the beginning, every single day, we need to receive God's grace in the different areas of our life. Because if we are called to be image bearers of Christ, what do we know of him? We know that he is gracious, and if we bear that image, we are gracious. Maybe there are areas in your life where you are not being gracious to others, and he is pure. If we're to bear his image, are we being pure and holy? Are we increasing every day, every day, in his likeness, from glory to glory? The question I'd have for you is, are you seeing the angel in everyone else's marble? And are you letting God free the angel from your own marble? Or are you walking around with a limp and a fig leaf to cover yourself, trying to put yourself back up on the cross to atone for your own sins? Trying to put Jesus back up under the cross? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that even in this moment, we could experience your grace. Thank you for your love and for offering us something we could never produce on our own, something we cannot earn, something we cannot receive without you just freely giving it to us. Tell us so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Only then can we be the me we are to be. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen.